I'm confident that we're going to put people back to work, and I'm confident uh, that businesses are going to start growing again. It's going to take some time, but uh, we can get this done. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Laura Conaway. Today is Monday, December 22nd. Today we're going to take a look at a couple of unexpected signals from the economy. First, though, I would like to do a Planet Money indicator. Be my guest. All right. That indicator is $72 billion. That, what? that, according to a Wall Street Journal article today, and they are saying that's according to the Investment Company Institute, is how much money investors pulled out of stock funds in October alone. And, you know, we don't give personal financial advice, but in my view, this is what happens every time the stock f- stock market falls – People sell their stocks, people who have mutual funds, people who aren't necessarily sophisticated or active investors, people, frankly, like me, maybe like you, who have mutual funds. They see the stock market going down, 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 and they panic and sell. Often those same people will buy, 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 buy when the market is at a peak. So quite literally, and there's lots of academic studies that show this, there are an awful lot of people who truly buy high and sell low. Which is stupid, right? Well, I don't want to say stupid because there's probably people listening who do it, and <laughs> I want to be polite. But it is a it, it is a smart way to lose money. Let's okay. say that. All right, fine. <laughs> it is a very smart way to lose money. Look, I don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. I'm not saying you should buy stock. I'm not giving any advice. I'm just saying I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not – you know, you, every, anyone who has money in the stock market, that should be long haul, like three to five years at least um, before they plan on using that money. And you got to – just, you know, you got to, you, 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 I don't know. You shouldn't just panic sell like that. That's, so That's a lot of panic. Thank you, Adam. I want to run that recession scene of yours you were, you've been working on. Sure. Uh, this is, uh, I've been doing a bunch of these scenes from, a, from the recession, just trying to find how this recession is impacting different people, different businesses. So last week I uh, went to the Brooklyn Navy Yards, which is now kind of like an industrial park, not well, not too close to my house, but not too far from my house, at least in the same borough that you and I both happen to live in. This is Frank Caracciolo. He's the owner of Universal Printing Company. He says orders are down the last few weeks, but the presses are running pretty much all day long. His clients do still need their stationery. You know, like uh, lawyers are still sending out bills with letterheads on them and uh they still need envelopes to mail their letters in. And, uh, and lawyers might be sending out more bills these days. <laughs> they might. But those lawyers' bills and envelopes, those are simple black ink on plain paper jobs. You can't make a lot of money that way. Universal printing isn't big. The whole operation would fit in an apartment, even a New York apartment. But there still are a handful of union workers and expensive printing machines to pay for. So Caracciolo needs fancier orders, the kind that have a bigger profit built in. High-end work for pharmaceutical companies. That's been on niche. He does all sorts of high-end work, but the main product that keeps these machines humming is one thing. Really fancy business cards. This is a four-color process job. And these are all business cards. These These are are all business cards. You know those cards? They're printed in four colors on both sides. Sometimes they have a shape cut out of them. 
really expensive looking because, well, they are really expensive. And he prints a lot of them. There's a handful of huge multinational pharmaceutical companies that get all their business cards for all new hires or for people who just ran out from right here, from Frank Caracciolo. So let me get this straight. Your, your biggest success in 2008, what's keeping you away from a recession, a personal recession, is just that there's enough pharmaceutical companies that want nice business cards. Yeah, basically. So your nightmare scenario is someone like this company calls up and says, you know what, we're just going to go with regular old black and white business cards. Yes. (laughs) It's a nightmare. Frank's hoping that no matter how bad things get this recession, people will get sick, they'll need drugs, and the people who make and sell those drugs will need really nice business cards. I have to say, Adam, every time I've been laid off, one of my first thoughts is, hey, i got to get my own business card. You do think that? I do, yeah. <laughs> because I, you're suddenly an independent contractor, well, a consultant. This, yeah, this friend of mine who had been laid off and since rehired showed us all the other day his personal business card, which he'd made to look like a subway swipe card in New York. <laughs> That's cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, that, for me, what I like about these scenes from a recession where I've been finding lots of different businesses is you might think about the pharmaceutical industry, but it's so fascinating to just see how many people rely on little tiny corners, the business card business or whatever it might be. We're going to be bringing lots more of those recession scenes coming your way shortly. And people out there have been sending us lots of their own small stories, lots of evidence of signals they're getting from the economy, photos, news, personal anecdotes. Last week on the blog at NPR.org, we had a lot of fun talking about pay cuts. Which today, the New York Times did a story that almost mirrored exactly what we already had on the blog. So I'm proud to say that we and our Planet Money audience were were out in front on that one. But you guys send these funny things, too. If you look at the blog today, there is a photo of a Christmas tree in Riverside County, California. It came from Chris Dahl. He's a pediatrician. He just happens to go by this mall every year. Dahl sent us a picture of the tree this year and back in Fat City, 2006. And two years sure makes a difference in a Christmas tree. Well, I asked him to tell us about that. Usually it's, it's a, a, first off, a massive tree, usually very, very tall and just perfectly decorated and perfectly adorned. It's um, uh, usually a very lovely vision and uh, usually takes some time for them to get it up. They make sure that everything is just perfect with it. And this year? This year, a little different. Yeah, definitely a more natural, maybe less California-looking <laughs> tree, I think. Um, you sent us a picture, and I have to say, uh, the first word that comes to mind is not actually a tree word, but threadbare. Yeah, yeah, that's a very adequate description. It looks like it lost a fight. And it's it's an interesting sight when it's lit as well, because it... Um, You know, it's sort of a countable number of lights on the tree almost. So I guess the question is, is this tree Chris Dahl has seen, this newly pathetic tree at his shopping center, a sign of the recession? Well, I asked the mall, and the mall, it was kind of a funny conversation. The mall didn't really want to talk about it for the record. They wouldn't address the Christmas tree issue. (laughs) They would not. That's what they said. Not for the record. But what I did manage to gather in a short and mildly contentious conversation I did have with them is that the reason the tree looks like it lost a fight, as Crystal says, is because the mall wanted to go green this year. And 
this tree, Adam, is a live tree. It is not a cut tree. It lives in a great big planter. And the reason it has fewer lights is because they're trying to save electricity. I like how this, we're going green. That can just cover anything. I guess they call it greenwashing. I'm just going to... Yeah, just less stuff. Or or just whatever you want. I'm going to tell Jen, like, ah, I'm going out for beers late with my friends. I'm, I'm going green this year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the person I talked to said, hey, you know, if the tree's a little cheaper this year, if they're being fiscally responsible, then what's the big deal? Well, indeed. And, of course, with all of these things, the printer, the tree, these are all just anecdotal snippets. We're not making huge claims about any of it, but we are seeing lots of fascinating signs and trying to bring them to you and and also some good analysis. So um, as as longtime listeners to Planet Money know, Hannah Jaffe-Walt is our very favorite freelance public radio reporter. She's at KPLU in Seattle, Washington, and uh, she kind of tripped over a story at a friend's house. So I'm at this dinner party and I'm introduced to yet another reason for the downturn in our economy. My friend Lucas. It's really ridiculous. I mean, it's really ridiculous. I look at TVs online at least every other day. Lucas has been pining for a 42-inch flat-screen TV. He makes a good salary at a tech company in Seattle. And a year ago, he totally would have sprung for the two-year no-interest financing. But his company's gone through two rounds of layoffs this year. There's bad economic news on the radio every day. He really, really wants this TV. But I'm not going to get it. (laughs) And you don't think you're going to get it under your Christmas tree? There's absolutely no way. (laughs) There's zero way. Now, I'm telling you about Lucas to call attention to the choice he just made. The same choice many of you are making over and over every day to hold back. Choices that, and it's hard to imagine this, but every time we make them, they have hundreds of little invisible consequences, sometimes large global consequences. Lucas's has to do with waste. Portland, Oregon. I'm at the base of a mountain of recycling. Tons of cans, beer boxes, newsprint. There's a plastic jug right there that used to hold whipped margarine. I'm here with John Dryden. He's an exporter of this stuff. So uh, I look at this and I see a big, huge pile of trash, and you look at this and you see money. Yeah, most of the time. (laughs) John runs a waste paper exporting business called Paper Fibers America a business that has been transformed by small choices like Lucas's. Bear with me. First, here's how it normally works. You put your recycling out on the curb or you take it to the recycling center. Someone picks it up, brings it to a place like this where all the cardboard and newsprint get separated and bailed up. John then buys it and sells it to Asia. And by Asia, John mostly means China. Uh, China does not have an indigenous source of of fiber supply, so they have to import recycled paper, and they use that to make new boxes, and those boxes can go to package goods that are exported to the U.S. and Europe. So we send them our recycling. They turn it into cardboard boxes and send it back to us with stuff inside of it. Pretty much. The past couple years have been incredibly good to waste paper exporters. Demand from Asia is huge, and speaking just in terms of volume, Waste paper is one of our top exports. So, beautiful summer in Portland. Things are sailing along for John Dryden. And then October arrives. John gets a call from his sales team in China with a warning. Hundreds of containers are arriving full of waste paper, and no one is picking them up. And at the time I heard it, I I was a little bit skeptical because we haven't seen that kind of 
activity before. But several weeks later, we started seeing it virtually with almost every customer. So what does that mean? That means that someone in China has ordered from you Mm -hmm. and you've sent it over in a ship in the sea and it gets there and they say, we don't want it? Exactly. Bales and bales of abandoned cardboard and newsprint just sitting at Chinese ports. Now, right before this, waste paper prices have been really high all summer long, July, August, September. October comes and suddenly they fall off a cliff. The material that was selling for, you know, $150 a ton was now selling for $20. Um, I mean, that was pretty breathtaking. And that had never happened before. No, no. We had not seen that kind of behavior happen before. So what happened? Lucas didn't buy his flat-screen TV. Okay, not just Lucas. Hundreds of thousands of people didn't buy TVs. Millions more didn't buy kitchen appliances and dolls and shoes which means factories in China are making fewer cheap electronics and dolls and shoes and need fewer boxes to put all that stuff in. And that's not only bad news for John Dryden and waste paper exporters. It brings up a totally different question. If China doesn't want our recycling anymore, what happens to it? You know, obviously, uh, recycling is based on an economic need for that material. Right. If that if there ceases to be an economic need, well, you know that may not mean it gets recycled. You're talking about landfills. Yeah, I mean we saw that with some of our accounts. The landfill option was the cheapest option. This isn't happening a lot, at least not yet. But it is a small irony that kept banging around in my head talking to John. If we don't consume, if you don't buy your kids loads of highly packaged stuff for Christmas, and if you hold off on that IKEA shelf and Lucas doesn't splurge on that flat screen he so desperately wants. Our entire system of recycling suffers. Thanks to Hannah Jaffe-Walt for that look at the great interconnectedness of this economy we're living in. We love Hannah. She really, she's planet, you know, we hope to bring her you many more of hers. Thanks to our listeners for tuning us in. This has been NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Laura Conaway. Thanks for listening. Sudden motion.